Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. There. It's Gary Parish. It's Tuesday, July 20th, 2021. Welcome back to the CBS Sports I Own College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting, dodo birds, and leaky black. Matt Norlanda is here with me. And before we get into it, I want to let you know that we have once again been nominated for a People's Choice Podcast Award. Turns out we can get nominated without you. We don't need you for that, but we can't win the actual award hold without you so uh could you do us a favor go to podcastawards.com scroll to the sports category and please vote for the ion college basketball podcast i did it last night took like 90 seconds so if you got 90 seconds please help us out we'd appreciate it our bosses would appreciate it most of all larnell would appreciate it so again that website podcastawards.com podcastawards.com we're in the sports category thank you in advance Shouts to the Campbell Fighting Camels. All right, Deadleg, we're, we're both back home now after spending four nights in Augusta watching some of the best high school prospects compete in front of most of the prominent college coaches and assistants in this country. You've written a couple of pieces since I last saw you face-to-face. One of them is on the recruitment of Jalen Dern, and I couldn't help but chuckle when I saw a quote you got from a high-major coach about the number one prospect in America. This coach told you that he'd never let Jalen Dern play college basketball because he'll, quote, get exposed before an NBA team has a chance to spend a top 10 pick on him. So here's my question. Do you now trust my assessment of Jalen Dern, or do you need to hear it from somebody else? Why don't you remind everyone what that assessment of Jalen Dern is? And before we get into that story, (laughs) I'll inform our listenership that – your thoughts on Jalen Durden certainly made a few rounds there down in North Augusta. But why don't you remind everyone what your assessment was? First, he's little. little he's bitty. not little. Little bitty guy. <laughs> I, I, I don't think he's 6'10". He's he might not. be 6'9". I don't think he's 6'10". I think he's, he's, he's six, eight and a half is, a, is my official guess. Okay, yeah. but smaller than 6'10". Yeah. Okay, we agree. And then that, um, if you told me he was one of the top 20 players in the class, I'd go, okay, that makes sense. But... Just based on walking into that gym for, I don't know, I don't know how long that gym um, exactly, but like going to grassroots events for 20 years now, I know what number one players in the country usually look like, and they usually pop, like they stand out. Nobody needs to tell you that's the guy. You can see it. And I simply just did not see that with Jalen Duren. Um, and, and I, you know, we talked about it on Friday's podcast. It, it definitely made the rounds. Yeah. And then, you know, I went back and watched him you know, multiple times over the weekend. And he's good. Very like if you're Memphis, Miami, Kentucky, you'd love to have him. I'm not saying he's not a high major player. I just don't think he is the type of impact freshman that most number one players in the country typically are. And I do not think he'll be the number one pick in any NBA draft based on the way the game is played today and how he doesn't seem equipped at this point to, to play the game the way the game's played today. 
your life seems to be safe, at least in regard to Jalen Duran's number one prospects going in the draft. I think I think that's a pretty. I still wouldn't be willing to do it, but I think for you, you're you're good to go there. After we did the podcast, I heard back from from some people. Just doesn't seem like he'll be a number one pick for the reasons that you laid out. So do I agree with your assessment? Not entirely. I think he's. I had an incredible assessment based off of about 35 minutes of watching Jalen Duran. And then subsequent days, my initial assessment was confirmed. Okay. This is the man who once discovered Mickey Mitchell in a gym in 2007. So that's one, that's one of the great days in, in uh, grassroots basketball history. That might be overstating it. So the, uh, the report I put out on Monday with Jalen Duran is this. So he is right now the number one prospect in the class of 2022, according to 247 Sports. That became official earlier this month when Duran leapfrogged Imani Bates for the number one spot. Bates is now number two. But Jalen Duran will almost certainly not be a 2022 prospect in the coming weeks. And that's because I'm told by multiple sources that he is going to attempt to reclassify. So he is in the middle of doing summer coursework right now. He will not be returning to Montverde in the fall to play high school basketball. I'm told that's not going to happen. And with that, there are a few potential outcomes for Duran. GP mentioned the three schools a couple of minutes ago. If you missed it, it is Kentucky, Memphis and Miami that are courting Duran and are the finalists to land him if he goes to college. So this will go one of three ways, almost certainly now. He will either successfully complete his coursework, get his transcript in proper order, qualify for college, and then declare and play college basketball this upcoming season. That's one option. Another option is all of that stuff will happen with completing coursework, transcripts in good order, he will still then decide, despite the fact that he would be eligible to get into college, he'll say, nope, I'm going to chase that professional path and play in the G League or overseas or overtime elite, some professional avenue. Or the third one is he cannot get the coursework done in time. He can't get the transcript approved. He doesn't get into college, so he doesn't have a choice since he's not going to return to high school. He will just simply have no other choice than to go professional. And when he do that, when he does that, if he does that, it will be obviously uh, something that garners him plenty of money right off the top. The other part of all this is, believe it or not, of the three schools I mentioned, when I tell you three schools are involved to get a player that's considered the number one player in his class and those schools are Kentucky and they are Memphis and they are Miami and I tell you which school is most likely to be the, the school that's going to land him you'll say you know what seven out of ten times I'm taking Kentucky and three out of ten times I'm taking Memphis in fact right now the understanding is that it is Miami the U Hurricanes that are considered the favorite to get him why is that one significant reason is the fact that they hired one of his former grassroots coaches DJ Irving, who's now on staff, I'm told that's not the explicit reason why. It certainly can't hurt, uh, but that is a major reason why, in addition to potentially Miami being well-positioned to uh, to get him into college and get that transcript approved if he gets the work done. So we'll wait and see. If Jalen Dern even decides to go to college, as I note in the story, I talked to a bunch of people, and I'd say it's about 60-40 that Jalen Dern is playing college basketball in this fall, and if he does, it seems like Miami over Kentucky and Memphis right now, although you would never count those two schools out. I trust your reporting. I will just say I've 
I've heard every, basically every possibility from somebody. Like, oh, I think it's going to be Kentucky. And mm-hmm. then it's like, oh, the Memphis is in the driver's seat. And then, of course, I've heard Miami as well. And then I've also heard he's not playing college basketball. So I, you know, I'm yes. not going to pretend to, um, I'm not going to make a prediction on where Jalen Duran might be five months from now because I've heard everything. But obviously, Miami is in there. And if you were trying to look for reasons why Miami might be able to beat Kentucky and Memphis, which, you know, listen, Miami has enrolled high level guys, you know, in, in recent years. So, like, it wouldn't be crazy. But, if you're looking for a reason for Miami to to beat Kentucky and Memphis, um, the one you mentioned is is an obvious one. They they they've hired somebody on staff who is close with Jalen. Um, I, I was told that th- that's not a, a deal maker. Like that's sometimes you know you hire Kate Cunningham's brother, you're getting Kate Cunningham. You hire Evan Mobley's dad, you're getting Evan Mobley and Isaiah Mobley. You know, um, you make this hire, it doesn't necessarily mean you're getting Jalen Duran. It's not like, hey, you do this, you, this is what happens next. But it it can't hurt. I think that's the way you put it, and I think that's accurate. It can't hurt. Um, the, the other the other thing is that you go to Memphis, and it's just the truth. I'm not telling secrets here. Memphis has got a pending IARP case. There's some thought that it could be ruled on before this season starts. Um, and there is no appeal process. So, like, when Oklahoma State got hit with a one-year postseason ban, they could appeal, and as long as the appeal wasn't heard before the NCAA tournament, they were going to be allowed to play in the NCAA tournament, which is exactly what happened. For Memphis, there is no appeal. Whatever the uh, IARP returns, um, that is that is the punishment. There is no avenue for you to go um, further than that. So, if you're Jalen Duran, do you have to be careful about okay, I'm going to Memphis, and then here, you know, you enroll in September, you know, August, September. Now it's October. IARP returns a, 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 a you know, a punishment for Memphis that includes a postseason ban. What have you just got yourself into? Yep. Um, you know, so there, there's that. You go to Kentucky, you know, they've got Oscar Sheboy on campus, and I don't know that you can play those two together. I, I, mean, I, I blindly, I would say it's not that you can't. I just you don't. Can. Think, I don't know that I would. Yeah, exactly. I don't know yeah. that I'd want to. So you're going to be better than Oscar Sheboy as a reclassified freshman. I doubt it. I mean, I, I was asked this morning by somebody if if Jalen Durham went to Memphis, you know, you know, would he be their leading score? I'm like, no, like uh, DeAndre Williams or, or Landers Notley would be the leading score. And then the other one would be the second leading score. Like Jalen Durham probably wouldn't be a top you know, top two player at Memphis. So that, that speaks to the, the, the thing we were talking about earlier. Number one player in America. Yeah. Can't be a top three. Can't be a top two player. Also at, speaks to the class. I think this class is. I, in, I, I should, I should, I'm glad you said that. I keep saying Jalen Dern's really number one player in the class. He might be, I mean, he might be, I, I don't know that he's the best player on his grassroots team, but like he, he might be the number one player in the class. If he is, this is all I'll say then this class is locked is lacking top tier talent because he doesn't look like give me a list of the past 20 number one players in the class he doesn't he he'd rank low on that list i think i don't even think most people would disagree with that so you 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 know if you're not going to be a probably a top two player at memphis if you go to memphis you're probably not better than oscar sheepway at kentucky and if you get into a situation where you can't play both then where where are we at so miami's sitting there like we don't have IARP issues. We don't have Oscar Sheepway. We do have your grassroots coach. Um, let's go. It, it, it makes some sense. I'm not predicting it, but I, if you were trying to explain how it might happen, 
in a, in a very simplistic way, that that is among the 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 ways this thing could tilt to Miami. There is a recent uh, analog to this situation from what four years ago, I guess, when we were talking about highly ranked top top one, two, three prospect in this class reclassifying, getting coursework done, trying to get approved and get in right as the semester was starting for the college session. And that was one Marvin Bagley who did this when he went to Duke and he did get in. Uh, he did that, get that transcript in good order late. Duran essentially is going to try and, and duplicate that. And then, yeah, we'll just, we'll just wait and see if, uh, if he does wind up going. I did talk to, uh, I talked to one person, talked to one NBA evaluator that I saw there at uh, North Augusta NBA scouts are allowed back in the gym, at least for that event and for this year. We don't know about going forward, but one evaluator said I would be surprised if he ever wound up playing in college, but then I talked to two more that said, well, one said I think he will, one said I'm not quite sure, but I think he probably should go to college, and he listed off a few reasons. So we'll see. The impression I got in talking to both people with some intelligence on the matter and kind of just scouting him from afar, again, Call it 60-40, 65-35. He plays in college. But a lot of it's dependent on getting the transcript. I'm told it's getting the transcript in order, getting the coursework done, and then getting him into school after that. It seems like it seems like a summit that is uh, achievable, but it's not It's not easy. Like He's going to actually have to burrow down and get, and get it done in order to, uh, to even get to that point. I hear you. Um, I guess I would counter with this. Tell me the last time you heard about a five-star prospect trying to reclassify and it didn't go well. It almost it almost always works. Yeah, almost, whatever they got to get done, they get done. I don't know how. Yeah, I've heard stories, but it gets done. There have been know? some cases, and not even necessarily five star, four star, but you know, like there have been there have been occasional cases where we coaches have waited on the eligibility cases for players, and the season has even started at that point. So I hear what you're saying, but every so often we do get a case where it's like. 10 days before the season and this player we're told is like, he's still not cleared yet. So maybe that won't be the case anymore, but, but I hear it more often than not what you're depicting does wind up happening. Yeah. I remember back. If I remember correctly with Marvin Bagley, like that got done early almost. It was like play in peach jam. Then there's an announcement. He's committing to Duke and he's reclassifying. And then it's like, it felt like the next day. It wasn't the next day, but it felt right. like the next day. It was like, and he's cleared to play freshman eligibility. And so that one got done pretty, um, they were on top of it and it got done pretty quickly. Uh, so we'll, we'll see what, what happens here. Uh, before we move on, who's the high major coach that told you he would get exposed. In I'm not going to say <laughs> who was it. I'm not saying who the higher major coach is who said that, but I did hear from another coach, another high major coach who said, that coach is wrong. In fact, if he goes to the G League, he, would, he that coach believes he'd get exposed. And another coach also said he thought that college is actually where Duran uh, is trending toward being a very good player and that college would be actually like his high watermark if he winds up going and playing and, and he could be really, really good. We'll see. We will see. So in addition to the Jalen Duran story, Deadleg had 10 takeaways from North Augusta. He led on Amani Bates. We'll talk about that next. But first... The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors 
with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. So in addition to Deadlegs Jalen Dern's story uh, that detailed the number one prospect's options, Norlander had 10 takeaways from North Augusta that published earlier today on Tuesday. Walk us through whatever you think the most interesting items were. Well, there's a lot in there, so I won't obviously go through the whole thing, uh, but I'll link it in the podcast description. My, all right, so my lead thing, let's just go real quick on my lead item. So it was about Imani Bates, and Imani Bates looked Good in a few games. He looked bad in one of the games I watched him at, but he looked good, right? And as we record this, in advance of the Peach Jam, you know, commencing in earnest later this week, like, Amani Bates, uh, he ranks, what, 10th in scoring. He's not in the top 20 in rebounds. He's not in the top 20 in assists or steals or blocks. He's in the top eight in turnovers per game. And so my just, GP, my main takeaway was, uh, this is nothing, I'm not hitting on anything uh, novel here, but I felt it was worth at least putting out there again. We've just got to stop. When you consider like Duran, number one hype, Bates since he was 15, even maybe four, really 14 with Bates, and the Bronny James stuff, he's almost a separate entity to himself because if you're LeBron James' son and you're going to play basketball like that, some of this stuff is just going to be unavoidable. I get all that. But we've got to resist this urge to try and peg players at 14 and 15 as the best prospect in a generation, 10 years, 15 years, because... And I did speak with a I – didn't, I didn't quote these coaches because we were kind of speaking uh, on background or just casually and informally, if you will, about this. But uh, coaches were really uh, passionate about this as we sat and watched Imani Bates. And it's like when you consider – and one of them actually mentioned Dewan Wagner. Uh, like Dewan Wagner was the number one player, and I'll get to his son in a little bit here on the pod. He was the number one player in his class, and he was freaking tremendous, right, as a prospect. But look at how his career ended up. And, you know, he had, you know, an unexpected illness that affected his he career. Got, he got sick. Right, I know, exactly. But the point is, even before that, like, he was not going to be what they thought he would be when he was 16, right? And he was a phenomenal prospect. It's just ultimately it's it's really unfair to put these huge labels and expectations and social media exacerbates it, Parrish. So I know this is not going to stop it, but I think Amani Bates is going to wind up being uh, just uh, – Another example of someone who was there was just too much put on him and the situation around him, like he doesn't play on a great AU team, he plays for his father's team. Uh, some people believe he has never received real coaching, and that's also an issue there. But I don't know how much you got to see Bates, but your thoughts on what you saw and just this idea that there's this impulse and this urge that we can't seem to resist of it's like, well, what's the new thing and how can we present this in a bigger way than we did a year ago or five years ago? Like we got to present it, it can't be the same old story every single year. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, let's, you don't need to talk to me about this. I'm not the one out there calling 13-year-olds the next, you know, LeBron James. I know. Text, text your buddies. <laughs> That's them. Um, but I hear you, you know, because 
I don't believe in the whole build somebody up to tear them down thing. I just think that's something people say, but it's not true. Like I've never once written a story or talked about somebody to quote, build them up so that I can one day tear them down. I just don't think that's Mm -hmm. the way it works. I just think sometimes people get built up and then sometimes they fall down. I don't really know that there's any intent behind it. Um, But Amani Bates is an example of that right now. Like he got built into something like the next, you know, he's Kevin Durant. And, you know, if you could put him in the draft as a sophomore in high school, he'd be picked number one and all of that stuff. And a lot of it was because of, you know, he was a a perimeter oriented player with, with great size who, you know, boy, when he got going, he looked the part. Like we can acknowledge that when he got going, you can get caught up in it and go, Oh boy, this guy is going to be something. But the development seems to have, if not stopped, stalled. And I, I don't, that there's, Something new and better. In other words, you, you see them at 15. You go, okay, this, is, this looks like somebody who's, gonna, who's got a chance to be really good. And then you, 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 what you hope is that when you see them when they're 16, it's like, oh, wow, he's grown two inches. Now he can bounce it a little bit, gotten stronger. You see him at 17. Okay, now it's starting to take form. And I don't know that Imani Bates has developed in, in, in that way. Like when you saw him this weekend – did he look better than he looked two years ago when you saw him? He did. Well, I, I, he did. He did. And he looks like he put on 10 pounds of muscle. And he did look better. But I just keep going back to if Imani Bates is a once every 10 years kind of prospect at minimum. And he was, for some, he was the best prospect as a 15, 16-year-old since LeBron James, right? Uh, there, there, is a, there is a supernova element to that. Again, it's through no fault of his own. You know, he was, and, and it's, and by the way, his father never peddled this behind the scenes and didn't try and promote. Now, his dad has taken extreme control and, and really has for a few years now of the situation surrounding his son, and I get all that. But some By people, the way, I don't think that's helpful. I Yeah, so there are a lot of people that actually believe that he has been way too much of a helicopter parent with extremely good intentions, but it has actually stunted his overall uh, development uh, as a player and as a person, et cetera, et cetera. So th- I think these these other factors are also playing into it, and there's kind of two things kind of going on at once with Imani Bates. Again, it's, all, uh, it's relative. He is a, an extremely good high school basketball player. But as I wrote in the takeaways, there's a difference between being extremely good. Every high school class has three, four, five players who are extremely good, obviously. But there's a difference between that and what Imani Bates was was sold as in 2018 and 2019, 2020. And now we are seeing the rest of the class catch up to him. And so even if it, it was a, a feeble attempt, I just wanted to put out there because I had conversations about it. It's just we the, in two years when there's a freaking tremendous 15 or 16-year-old high school player, let's just resist this urge to say, well, we haven't seen someone like him in like 10 years because we don't know what he'll be two years from now, let alone six years when he's from then when he might be a third or fourth year NBA player. Just there's just no telling. That's all. Yeah, my thing, what I try to do, and I'm not saying I've never gotten hyperbolic about a young prospect. Like I'm, I'm certain somebody can find an example somewhere. I'm just saying what, what I try to do as it, it and I'm not saying I've, I've, I've just, I, what I try to do is speak about them in ways that provide proper context. So I, I, I would resist saying this is going to be the best, you know, high school prospect we've seen since LeBron James. Instead of saying something like that, 
Because that's been said about five different guys since LeBron James. Ben Simmons is the most uh, adept passer at the high school level for his size since LeBron James as one recent example, which in some ways I did actually feel was was mostly accurate and true. No one saw necessarily all of the issues he's had as a pro. And, oh, by the way, still, Ben Simmons, despite that, those deficiencies, is a top 25 player in the NBA. But to buttress your point you're making, he would be one relatively recent quasi-example. Yeah, and, and here's one. The best high school basketball player since LeBron James is Jabari Parker. That was a Sports Illustrated cover. That wasn't some random blog. That was the cover of Sports Illustrated. Yep. That didn't even seem true at the time. Like, I remember seeing that and going, he's the best high school basketball player since LeBron James? Jabari Parker is? Like, is Jabari, was Jabari Parker a better high school basketball player than Greg Oden? Right. That got a lot of run. I remember that. Ton. Or was he better than Kevin Durant? Like, yeah. really? What are we doing here? So that seemed misguided in real time. With the benefit of hindsight, it, it's obviously um, ridiculous. So rather than do things like that, uh, for me at least, what I try to do is, hey, I saw this 15-year-old. His name's Amani Bates. Um, he looks like he has a chance to be special. He looks like he has a chance to be great. Because he does, and he did, look like, and he still does, looks like he has a chance to be great. But there's a difference between being great and having a chance to be great. And I think sometimes people in our business don't distinguish between those two things well enough. I would agree with you. Uh, since we've got no shortage of, you know, really diehard college. One thing on Bates real quick. Okay. I will say that um, I was walking out of the gym with uh, a, a coach. If I, I know sometimes when we say stuff like that, it sounds like, oh, we're walking out of the gym. It's impossible to walk out of the gym without a coach. Okay. So it doesn't mean anything. It's just, you're walking out of the gym. You're surrounded by coaches. And uh, I said, uh, I said, so what gym were you in? Coach said something. And um, I said, oh, Monty Bates, what do you think? He said, he stinks. And I was like, he doesn't stink. Doesn't stink. <laughs> he doesn't stink. But, but like the idea that in a span of two years, we can go from Imani Bates is Kevin Durant to Imani Bates stinks tell, tells a story. And so, the, so the, he wasn't impressive the way you would want somebody with his reputation to be um, on, a, on a scale of one to ten. But I did have somebody else, and I honestly don't remember who it is, but make the point, he's playing with a bunch of not great players. Um, you, know, you put him with other great players, and he's gonna, he looks great. You put him with the crew he's playing with right now, and this is what you get. So if you're looking for um, a, a possible explanation for why Amani Bates didn't wow everybody in North Augusta, perhaps that's it. I will say this. I still believe in him as, a, as the type of prospect who has a chance to be great. I, I don't think... All of the attention, all, all of the, you know, I, I, I don't like, I don't think the way, and I, I'm hesitant to criticize a father. I'm a father, you know, like right. Ronnie Bates' father probably doing a better job than I am, <laughs> but I, think I don't know true. that. <laughs> I don't know that. I mean, I'm one of my kids. I mean, you show me a few things on your phone over the weekend. I, I think I got to back up that assertion. That's all. Yeah, so I'm not being criticized critical as much as um, I don't know if the way they've spent the past couple of years has been helpful to the development of Amani Bates. Um, you know, it, it, it reminds me a little bit of once upon a time there was a, you know, he was going to be the next great thing. 15 year old basketball player from Mississippi, Renardo Sydney. Oh yeah. And then they, you know, the, the, the dad took over everything and they became real controlling. And it's like, 
we're moving here and we're leaving home. And then it just obviously became a mess. Like Renardo Sidney never developed into what he was supposed to develop into. Uh, th- th- that's not this, this ain't that, but I, 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 I'm, I am, I think it's reasonable to wonder if the complete hands-on approach has been counterproductive in some ways. That's all. Yeah. Uh, Before I run down just a few players for fans to be aware of who I just kind of caught my eye for various reasons, I'll also say on this very topic here that Dior Johnson, who's in the class of 22, he's currently, I think, the number nine player is committed to Oregon. When Dior Johnson was 14 years old, he was clearly the best 14-year-old on the the court with a bunch of other 14-year-olds, right? And just to show you how sometimes this can kind of reverse, and I don't agree with this assessment, but you mentioned how that one coach said that about Imani Bates. I mean, I had a coach, like, half-joking, half-serious as we're sitting there watching Dior Johnson's Vegas Elite Team play saying, this kid's over the hill. He's 17, and he's calling him <laughs> over the hill. But he was super hyped when he was 14, and, that, and the rest of the class has clearly caught up with him. He's going to be a five-star prospect when this is all said and done. I get all that. But he was seen as a guy, okay, at 14... This this player this this kid this boy is going to be a top three and it's just it just hasn't been that case there so he's another cautionary tale okay just a a quick quick laundry list of a few players that I understand there's no shortage of fans that are tracking the recruitments of these guys so I've got five in the story um, that you can go read about of just a few more here and I'll I'll just kind of bing bang boom and if you have any thoughts at the NGP let me know and then we can move on to what uh, what your column is hitting on this week at CBS Sports first I have to talk about. Jalen Duren's teammate, Derek Lively, he's terrific. He's the best high school defender as far as I'm concerned. There might be someone on the Under Armour or Adidas circuit who's better. I'm just telling you, at EYBL, he was easily the best defender. He's seven foot, maybe seven one, swap machine, guards the perimeter, switches well, awesome, awesome stuff. He's been a quick riser. Like he's gone from 40s to now he's number three in the composite. Uh, he'll basically have, and this is in the past few months' time. He'll have his pick of any school. Uh, the crystal ball projection is Kentucky, but I think after what's happening here, it could be a situation where Carolina, Florida State, Duke, Michigan, USC, and yes, Penn State, where his mother played and currently works. Uh, they're involved there. Love Derek Lively. Uh, DJ Wagner, I'll have a story on him later in the week. I spoke with his father, Dewan, and his mother, and he... He's just an awesome, awesome deal. Uh, Straight-A student, doesn't really play a ton like his dad, doesn't look like his dad at this, but he is the number one prospect in 2023. And again, no mega hype, just love watching a 16-year-old be that good and that composed. Sure, there's some parts to his game that could uh, that could improve, but he was fantastic to watch play. Some people think that because Dewan played for Cal, DJ's the number one prospect, going to Kentucky might be a fait accompli. But as I understand it right now, and this is from his mother, like he's got, he doesn't go on social media, doesn't talk about his offers, all this stuff. But she said, listen, there's a situation. He's got 30 to 35 offers. There's no school that's even remotely considered a favorite right now. It's going to be completely his decision. And while sometimes parents say that, and it might be like a half-truth, with the Wagner family, it really does feel like it is going to be his decision. He was awesome, and I can't wait to see him again next year, uh, provided he's still playing on the Nike circuit. Uh, there's a player that's going to go to Duke, I think. Plays for Team Durant, Derek Whitehead. He's top six, top seven prospect, six six wing. Who's got? Uh, he's got a real edge to his game. I'm told he's actually supposed to be committing or announcing his commitment like in the next two weeks. And when he does that, it's expected that he will 
commit to Duke. And before I read off just a few more players here, GP, you actually talked real quick down at uh, at EYBL with um, one of his potential. Well, I won't say one of his potential future teammates because he's not going to. But the the Duke starting five projected all traveled to EYBL because uh, they're all alum. They're alumni of EYBL, but you caught up with uh, with the big man that's going to star at Duke next season, did you not? I did. I uh, I, I saw uh, Paulo Bancaro uh, in the gym, and I had met him at USA Basketball a couple years ago and did a story on him, met his father. I mean, just a tremendous – I mean, first off, like, Paulo is, like, top-shelf young man, just super impre- – forget the basketball stuff. Just sit down and have a conversation with him. He's super impressive. His dad seemed great. Family seemed rock solid. So I saw him, um, you know, inside the building and, 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 and went up and we spent a few minutes talking. Um, he said he's been on campus now for about a month and a half and settled in and everything's going uh, brilliantly. So it was interesting that the Duke starting five was was it was in North Augusta, uh, not there like waving Duke flags or anything like that. But like if you, if but it helps. And they're, I mean, they, they were allowed to. You know, a couple coaches they weren't they didn't have a huge issue with it. But I, I basically heard, man, this is just Duke right here. You know they're <laughs> they're close enough to come here. They all played on the EYBL circuit. The event is not open to the general public. But these are all guys who all the teams that they played on. All were participating, so they're in the Nike family, and so they all travel down together. And you've got a number of prospects here that are uh, that are considering Duke, and it just so happens. Okay, look at the guys that are going to be starting for Duke next year. They're all in the building. It was just, you know, I just what what can you say? I mean, that's just it's just well done. Yeah, I, I don't I, I don't know if that'll be uh, a tipping point for anybody's right. recruitment, but like you know, it 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 can't hurt. If only because, um, okay, let's say Duke is recruiting some you know, top 15 kid. And, you know, next thing you know, the kid gets a text message from Paulo. Hey, saw you play today. Looked great, man. Uh, just wanted to say what's up. You know, that, 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 ooh, the number one player in the country yeah. just text messaged me. Like, that stuff matters, you know? It just does to some degree. Uh, so I don't know that any of this stuff will be the tipping point for anybody, but it, uh, it, it, it can't possibly hurt. And, uh, so it's another example of, you know, using the advantage that could possibly be an advantage. No doubt about it. Derek Whitehead uh, will be, I think, a fabulous freshman no matter where he winds up uh, playing next season. Not this upcoming season, but next season. Uh, Shaden Sharp, number eight prospect in 22. He's out of Canada, plays high school in Arizona. Uh, he's number three in scoring right now down at EYBL. Crystal Ball says Kentucky uh, just looks like a really, really fun player. If he goes to Kentucky, Wildcat fans will absolutely love him. Another one, another player that stood out to me, actually, he's teammates on Team Durant with Whitehead is Judah Mintz, uh, four-star, number 80 in the class, committed to Capel and Pitt, like a combo guard, 6'3", can score in a variety of ways. He is also, when I last checked, I think he is second in scoring down at EYBL. Could be set up for a, a really big PCM. Team Durant's a pretty good team overall with Whitehead and Mintz starting there, one, two. Pitt fans, uh, if you're unfamiliar with Mr. Mintz, you know, program is in decent hands. He's on his way, and he's a, he's a really good player who I couldn't help notice play alongside uh, Whitehead. Houston, how about this? Terrence Arsenault. As I wrote in my uh, takeaways, probably the most irresistible player I watched. He's a 100% projection to go to play for Calvin Sampson. They have not had a player like this. He is, I can see why he's a Houston guy because of his defensive aptitude, 
really good teammate, high energy, but he just has a swagger and an offensive arsenal with his game that is fantastic. He's 60. Here's one of those deals where I watched him play. And some, like I'm not familiar with a lot of these dudes before we get down there and, and do the recruiting stuff because I'm not I, – I can tell you about the guys in the top 10 maybe. I can't tell you guys beyond that, right? I was like, okay, this kid, this is a top 25 kid. He was 67th in the composite heading into this. I, this is one of those things where once this is done, I've got to believe he's got to be top 40 after this. He was terrific. Again, he hasn't committed to Houston yet. Crystal Ball says 100%. That is, a to me, a game-changing player for, for Kelvin Sampson. And then a few more. Jet Howard, Juwan Howard's son, he hasn't committed to Michigan yet. I don't know what we're waiting on. He's also way lower than I thought. Like Jet what Howard, to, what if he goes to Ohio State? Oh my gosh! What if Chris Holman got an in-home visit? That'd be incredible. Well, I, clearly there is some level of traditional recruitment happening here. But Juwan, oh, that's cr- no. Juwan Howard was at all the games, so I don't, <laughs> no, there's not. He's like, what are we waiting on? What are we waiting on? Like if you are a college coach who doesn't work at Michigan and you text message <laughs> Jawan Howard's kid, like you are, you just wasted a text message. Someone's like, do doing do? it. You know, someone's doing it. Oh, but I'm he, certain somebody's doing it, and I'm certain they are wasting their time. He's 41st in the class. Another example. He's that is one of the that is one of the 25 best players in the class of 2022. Again, based on what I saw this weekend, Jed Howard looks to be like a two- or three-year college player who by that second or third year will have a really good chance, if he develops along the same lines of being, you know, top, let's say he goes to Michigan, like as a sophomore, top 10 player in the Big Ten, right? Another player on the back end of that who I think would be a top 10 player in the Big Ten by his senior year, I wanted to pick out a, a player who's not top 50, not even top 100. Foster Lawyer's younger brother, Foster Lawyer, previously at Michigan State, and I think he went to Davidson. Anyway, Fletcher Lawyer, number 133 in the class. He's going to Purdue. He's better than his brother. I think that he's going to be an awesome kind of four-year player that should be a, that should be a standout there. I enjoyed watching him. And then there's one of the more interesting guys I saw, Alex Caravan. He's ranked 88 in the composite. I think he's getting, like, he's, first of all, he was the one player that made the most big plays and tight games that I saw the entire weekend. He just, he's like stretch three-ish, stretch four-ish kind of deal. He's tough, big rebounds, can step out and shoot. And I feel like his recruitment's about to blow up because there were some schools, frankly, one school who was there to recruit him and, and told me off the record, so I can't even, but it, it is a school that I would define as a top 20 school that was not seriously recruiting him before this past weekend and now they are involved and they want so again names alex caravan uh not a five-star prospect and won't be but he was certainly uh he was intriguing to me and then last one cameron whitmore whose recruitment is a little bit shrouded plays for team mellow averaging about 17 and 8 right now from maryland number 30 prospect probably one of the three or four players i like most watching this weekend Carolina's in there, Villanova, they think. Obviously, Maryland, Georgetown, Illinois. I think UCLA just offered. So, again, just wanted to give a little bit of taste. You know, we go and we talk to all these coaches. We get a lot of information. GP's going to run down a really interesting column topic. But do like to get eyes on some of these players because it's always interesting to see what they look like now, right? When they're wearing the grassroots uniforms, they're playing as 16 or 17-year-olds. And then when we see them three, five, seven games into a college career as freshmen, how they grow, as you mentioned earlier, GP, how they change, how they get better. Those were just it's kind of a grab bag. A lot of highly rated guys, but a few are lesser known guys who just stood out to me for one reason or another in, uh, in the games I saw over the weekend. Well, just keep in mind, uh, class of 2022 prospects, under normal circumstances... 
you know, in the absence of the dumbest pandemic of my lifetime, we'd have seen all these guys last year. Yes. So we would have some context. Um, you know, coaches have been largely recruiting off video, um, you know, and YouTube, um, evaluating, you know, from a distance in ways that had never been done before. And I know you and I have talked about it. I don't know if we talked about it on the podcast, but, you know, I had coaches tell me, you know, they, when it, they were finally allowed to go back on the road, they saw players that they thought they wanted. And they were like, this, I don't want this player anymore. Like this guy cannot do first. He's not, he, he was listed at six, six. He's not six, six. I couldn't tell it on YouTube, but I can see it now. He's not six, six or, Oh, wow. You know, on, on video guy looked good, but now I just realized he can't go left at all. I don't want him anymore. Mm -hmm. And so it, it was interesting being out, because you're 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 seeing people either that you haven't seen in two years or that you've never seen before. And so it, it, it was eye opening from that perspective. You know, it, it, you know, I, I had seen Imani Bates before, but I'd never seen Jalen Duran before. You know, so like you, you go into it. OK, what is this about? And we've talked enough about that. Um, I will say. Um, you mentioned Dewan Wagner, Jr., and we were talking about the Amani Bates situation. Well, this is the exact opposite situation. And by the way, whoo, man, do you feel old when you realize <laughs> I covered Dewan Wagner? Well, I, I don't realize that, but I think you do. <laughs> Dude, I covered Dewan Wagner. I was at the Dewan Wagner NBA draft with. I rode to the to the Garden with Worldwide Wes. It's me and Wes go in an SUV. How about that? Me, Worldwide West, and an SUV, because, like, West, you got to remember back then, nobody knew who Worldwide nobody, West was. Nobody, yeah. Nobody. Dude, I said, I don't know if I've ever told this story in this podcast. I, I probably have. But I would sit next to Wes in the Finch Center practice facility every day. And he was just Uncle West. It was Uncle West. Nobody said Worldwide West. Uncle West. That's Wani's Uncle West from Canada. Okay, what's up, Wes? So we're sitting there every day just talking. And I, and I, you know, I, I didn't know any better. You know, first, you got to remember, I'm like early, early 20s. Uh, you know, like my first, you know, you know I'm, I'm, I'm very young. I, 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 I had no context for who this person might be. But there was one day, like a Monday practice. You know, Memphis practice would end around 6 o'clock. And I'm sitting with Wes all day. And because he, he basically lived in Memphis that year. I mean, not technically, but he was there a lot. And... Wes. So I go home and I watch Monday Night Football. It's like I just remember it being a Dolphins game because they were in Miami. And I'm watching a the game. They, you know, pan the sideline. I'm like, Uncle Wes? What is Uncle Wes doing on the sideline at the Dolphins game? I was like, well, this, that's not normal. He was with me two hours ago uh, or three hours ago, whatever it was. So that was my first thing. So Hold good. on. What's going You've on told here? You told me that. I don't know if you said it on the podcast, but just this idea that you're sitting there at the practice with him, normal day as always, and then you're, you're home, you know, just finished dinner, sitting down, relaxing, whatever, and it's just like a casual television shot. It's like, there's no way that's, there's no way that's him right now. So and there it was. was. There was two moments um, like that for me in that year. You got to remember, or, or around that time, you know, everybody remembers, see, John Calipari gets fired from the Nets, he then works for Larry Brown with the Philadelphia 76ers, which, of course, is right next to Camden. And then when he gets the Memphis job, it's like understood. DeJuan Wagner's coming a year later. Um, and, and 
Cal hired Milt Wagner, DeWine's father, but also enrolled his best friend, Arthur Barclay, OG. So Jay-Z was doing a concert in Memphis that was being broadcast live on Showtime. And I remember sitting at home, like watching the Jay-Z concert. And there's OG, Arthur Barclay, on stage with Jay. And I'm like, what is, what is going on? <laughs> like, Wes is on the Miami Dolphins sideline. And OG's on stage with Jay. So I go, that's like on a Saturday night, whatever. I go to pr- Friday night. I go to practice on Monday. See OG. I'm like, yo, man, correct me if I'm wrong, but I swear to God, I thought you, I think I saw you on stage with Jay Z the other night. And this is what he said Oh, yeah, I've been knowing Jay for a long time. I'm like, how have you been knowing I've Jay been for knowing a long Jay time? I've been knowing Jay for a long time. <laughs> None of this makes any sense to me. And then, of course, you find out World Wide West is, he, he goes on. He was already World Wide West, but then he became. Yeah, actually known worldwide as Worldwide West. So I'm at that NBA draft. Me and Wes are uh, taking a car from the hotel to the to the garden, and he goes, he goes, GP, we a long way from the Finch Center now. <laughs> I said, I, I I guess so. Yeah. And uh, and so t- now, all these years later, I'm sitting in a grassroots gym, and I'm watching. Dewan Wagner Jr. and there's there's Wani sitting over there, proud father. Uh, it's just a neat story that yes makes me feel old, but also neat. Here's the point I was going to make about Amani Bates and and Dewan Wagner Jr. Because at one time Amani Bates was number one player in 2022, and Dewan Wagner Jr. number one player in 2023. There ain't no Wagner fundamentals team. No, Juan Wagner is going to Camden High School. Plays for the New Jersey Scholars. How many times do you hear a grassroots team with that nickname? (laughs) No. And he's a straight-A student, by the way. His mother told me that the only thing he might hate more than losing is getting a B in school. Yeah. So um, he's going to Camden High School. Like, they didn't take him. They didn't bounce him around to some prep school. You know, he's not going to Montverde. Not that there's anything wrong with going to Montverde. I'm just saying, Milt Wagner went to Camden High School. Star. DeWan Wagner goes to Camden High School, star. And here's DeWan Wagner Jr. going to Camden High School, star. And when I talked to OG, I don't know, a few months ago, and I was just like, so how's, uh, how's Wani, you know, how's, 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 how's he handling everything with, with his son? He's like, man, we got this, everything's awesome and tight. It's like me and Wani and, you know, everything works through us. There ain't no, out, there's no outside influences. Nobody's cracking that thing. They have just kept, if it's possible to be DeWan Wagner Jr. and have a, quote, normal life, they've tried their best to keep things as normal as possible. The, the, the people involved in that are the dad and the dad's lifelong best friend, who is like a city councilman in Camden now. I mean, like legitimate people are around this as opposed to some of the people you see get around things like this sometimes. And they kept him in the same school. He's around the same friends. And they haven't got caught up at all in he's the number one player in the country. They're like, you are a high school junior. Um, You're going to go to school. You're going to focus on academics. And you're also going to be awesome at basketball. And by the way, because I feel like we spent the past two podcasts just crapping on one prospect after another. uh, We? DeWan Wagner Jr. is legit. Like, that, that when I say, you know, sometimes you walk in number one player in the country, like it just pops. You can see it. It pops with him. You can see it. Nobody needs to tell you that guy's special. You, you, you watch for five minutes and especially so in transition. I must have watched him. I don't know. It felt like 10 different times. 
get a ball in transition and there's traffic where he's either going to get stopped or he's going to have to give it up or, and he just doesn't have to, he just gets by everybody and gets to the rim. He's super fast in transition, a little bigger than his dad. You know, that was well, you know, taller. His dad was yeah, certainly no, Ronnie know. was, Ronnie was stockier. Yes. Like Ronnie was more to his arms, to his shoulders, to his chest. Yeah. That's not, they call yeah. him DJ. That's not, DJ is more, he's taller, but he's not. Yeah. That's what I meant. Taller. Yeah. He's not yeah. thicker, but yeah. he's taller. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, that, that was, Ronnie got sick. That's what D like he averaged 13 points per game as a rookie with Cleveland. Um, he, he was going to have an NBA career and then he got sick and, and just never was the same. But one of the things working against him was like, he was a six, two shooting guard. I mean, he's a six, two scorer and there, there, you can be that in the NBA, but they ain't a million of them. And so that was going to be the thing working with him. Dewan Wagner jr. I think is better equipped appears to be better equipped at this age to play with the ball or without the ball. And he's got an inch on his dad already. I, yeah. I, I would, I, that's somebody I'm betting on. I, I think Dewan Wagner jr. Is going to live up to, I'd be surprised if he doesn't, you know, become everything people think he's mm-hmm. going to become. Yeah, I have a takeaway uh, little graph on Wagner in my piece. And then uh, GP did a wonderful job of basically teasing uh, some of the stuff that I'm going to hit on in a feature that will run later this week. Again, Peach Jam is going to commence the the championship part of it uh, in earnest in a couple of days here. GP's got a, a story. We're recording this on Tuesday. On Wednesday, GP's going to have a column that goes up on kind of the nature of what recruitment is now, how it's changing because of other things that have happened this year, like with the, the immediate transfer eligibility, first-time rule. W- what did you hear from coaches about this? Because I... Every year, it feels like we go out and talk with coaches about it. Uh, a major NCAA talking point or two, but you know what the feedback I heard was: this is the one. This is one thing where it's like, and it, uh, this seems obvious, but it's never going back. This is the reality going forward, and it should be. You transfer the first time you're in college, you're immediately eligible. This wasn't the case up until this year across the board in college basketball and all NCAA sports, but it's the case now, and it's going to be the case 10 years, 70 years, 170 years from now. And so because of that, the dynamics of recruiting, according to what you talked about with coaches, they have been altered to a certain extent, right? There's no question. You know, I I was bouncing around, like, big topics to either bring to the podcast or write or both. And one of the things that kept coming up was that the high major programs, at the very least, just are not recruiting the way they used to recruit. You know, I was talking to Chris Beard about it, and he just said, the game's changed, man. Like, it's not, it's a different deal now. And basically, here's the deal. Um, in years past, let's say a high major program had five scholarships to use. Four of those, and maybe even all five, would go to high school players. And maybe two or three of those high school players would be ready to help immediately. And then one or two, you know, probably wouldn't play as freshmen, but might play later in their career. So you take them in, in the hopes of developing into something that can help you down the road. But I have multiple high major coaches tell me that they just will not do that anymore. Now they said they might only take one or two high school prospects a year and nothing but guys who can help immediately. Like Bruce Pearl told me in in a, over a four year period, you know, on average, he might enroll five players in the past. 
And in the past, he'd take three or four high school kids. He said, now it's probably going to be one or two. You know, Jeff, Jeff Capel said that he's talked to his staff about it. And the reason these coaches are going to be hesitant to, to take as many high school prospects as they used to take is really there's two reasons. One is you can you – know, it's, it's, and I, I should maybe rephrase a bit. It's not just about taking a certain number of high school prospects. Like Basically, the premise was don't take somebody who can't play for you next year. Right. Because you're, you're, you're – if you don't th- – they're hesitant to take people who can't help – they don't think can help immediately. And, and basically for two reasons. One, you could probably find somebody in the transfer portal – who is better equipped to help you next season than a high school player ranked 175th in the country if you're a high, if you're a high major program. And, and then the other thing is that if you take a high – again, we're talking about high major programs here. If you take a player ranked 175th and he doesn't play for you as a freshman, he's just going to transfer in December or March. As one coach told me, he said, why am I going to take a player – who I know can't play for me as a freshman, but I think could maybe play for me as a sophomore junior. Two years ago, I take that guy. Why am I going to take him now when he doesn't play, but I'm going to work him out, develop him, I'm going to get him better, and then I'm going to watch him transfer? You know, what, 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 what is the point in that? Mm-hmm. And so it's going to be interesting to see how much this is a reality because I don't want to overstate it. Not every coach I talked to said I have absolutely 100% changed how I recruit high school prospects, but most did. Um, you know, Jeff Capel at Pitt, he said that he is for the one-time transfer waiver fully, absolutely for it. Thinks that student athletes deserve to be able to move at least once without penalty. He said, but if you're trying to find an unintended con- uh, a consequence of this, it is it's going to hurt high school players because there are prospects who let's just say maybe ranked 160th in the country who, you know, in previous times they would get an offer from, you know, an Alabama or a, a, a a Purdue or a a Michigan with the idea being just let's get in the program, develop. Maybe you can help us as a sophomore or junior. And now, those types of programs might not want to offer that type of player because for the reasons I've already laid out, you bring in somebody who can't play for you. They probably in the transfer portal by December. And if not December by, by March. Yeah, that's seems to be where we're headed. And there is another element to this that I detailed in my notebook, which is kind of tied into all this. Obviously forever schools have, some schools have um, put out offers to multiple players, even though they know they weren't going to get all. That's just that's that's kind of the math of recruiting. You're not going to get everyone you recruit for the most part unless you're you know three or four schools, and so you need to have a real feel on who we can get, good second options, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So that's always existed. But what I was having uh, I was having dinner on Saturday night with a couple of coaches, and they were laying it out in like some real detail here. And then I talked to another coach on Sunday of a mid-major program who was like, yep, this is happening because it's happening right now with one of our players who just got an offer from a power conference school and it makes absolutely no sense why that school would want this player right now. So 
and this is highly cynical, but in reality, it seems to be happening. What you have is schools knowing that this is going to happen now. The players are going to transfer after a freshman or sophomore season plenty of times. When they do that, when they enter the portal, there will be an increased chance that they would be willing to go and play at a school and with a coach and with a staff that they have a familiarity with, right? Of course, that makes sense. So what you have here with some schools, again, this is alleged by other coaches, but they did, they shared some convincing anecdotes, if you will, that, I, that were off the record, so I can't put them here. But you have a, a coach or a staff that is fake recruiting a player, and they're basically, they are, they are doing just enough to be in that player's radius right now that the player thinks the school wants to have them, but in reality, that school does not want to have that player come to their school. If it's a 2022 prospect, that school, that coach does not want that player on their roster for next season. They're not preparing for it. They're not expecting that player is going to be a part of their program. No. What they're doing is they are saying, okay, he can go to any of the other schools. That's fine. But in the event that this player eventually transfers, which we think has a decent chance of happening, once that player is 19, 20, or 21 years old and he's had development and we need a player like that on our roster, guess what? We put in serious legwork when the player was a prospect and now we'll come around and get him. This is something that happened to a certain extent, maybe fairly organically five, 10 years ago, but now actually seems to be like true reconnaissance for some of these programs. And I don't necessarily blame them for doing it, but the mid-major coach I talked to about this GP on Sunday said, Kind of what you just alluded to with what Capel was saying. He's like, man, on a big picture level, this is really effing with the kids, and it's not its not a good thing. Like, this is not actually helping the game of college basketball on the whole when you have this idea of predatory recruiting in this specific sense where you are giving fake offers to, to, to recruits with no actual intention of, of, of putting them on scholarship and, and enrolling them in college right away. Well... Uh, first off, you're, this is happening. I, I had coaches bring it up to me too. And it's easy to understand why. Like if you want to debate whether it's right or wrong, like I'm happy to let people debate that, but like um, th th there's a purpose behind it and it can be effective. Um, this, this thing of two transfer just popped into my head. Um, two transfers from this past offseason. Walker Kessler transfers from North Carolina to Auburn. DJ Jeffries transfers from Memphis to Mississippi State. Do you know who finished second in those recruitments out of high school. Well, you're going to say it. I knew it was Kessler, but I did not know it. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It, people thought DJ Jeffries was going to Mississippi State yeah. until he went to Memphis. Some people thought. And then I can just tell you the Auburn staff thought Walker Kessler was coming to Auburn until he called and said, I'm going to North Carolina. <laughs> and um, so I don't know that Ben Howland and Bruce Pearl knew that DJ Jeffries and Walker Kessler would ever become available. But when they did become available, boom, they already had those relationships. They were they were strong and and they were immediately identified as the leaders to get these transfers and then boom they got them done so that happened in a sincere way mississippi state wasn't fake recruiting dj jeffries out of high school they wanted him auburn wasn't fake recruiting walker kessler out of high school they wanted him so when he becomes available they, they put in that work before and they're able to get it done on the bounce back what's happening now and i talked to a coach who told me this he said i used to tell my assistants be smart and don't waste your time. Like, I don't care about being on somebody's top five list. We don't need to be on mm -hmm. a, a, a McDonald's All-Americans top five list if we're not going to get the guy. It, it, it serves no purpose. So if you think we can get the guy, 
then absolutely target him, identify him, recruit him, do what you do. But if you know he's going to another school, and if not that school, then this other school, but it's not going to be us, even if we might finish third. In years past, I don't want to mess around with that. Like You don't get a, 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 a bronze medal. Mm-hmm. It's just you, you either get a player or you don't get a player, and I'm not interested in finishing third. If you know you're finishing third, don't waste your time. Now that same coach said, I tell my assistants, have more relationships than ever, recruit more people than ever. Yeah, if you think we can finish third, stay in there because we'll finish third. And then that player will go somewhere, and then he'll be in the transfer portal, and we'll get him in. So I, that is a real thing. Now, I don't know that this coach was fake recruiting. I don't know. He certainly wouldn't have right. labeled it that way. But his point was, in years past, it didn't make any sense to be in a recruitment where you knew you weren't going to get the kid. Now it does make some sense to be in a recruitment where you, even if you know you're not going to get the kid because that same player – might become available in a year or two or three, and you've had that relationship with the parents, with the grassroots coach, which who, with whoever, uh, dating back to to high school, and it can be it can be advantageous. It just worked for Mississippi State. It just worked for Auburn, and now coaching staffs are actually trying to set themselves up so that it'll work possibly for them down the road. Whole new world there. Very, very, uh, very productive trip. It was great to be back in the in the gym. I, I, I will say this: the other thing I heard, just in terms of how one-time transfer changes, yeah, the way people are running their programs. I thought this was interesting. One coach told me he's got eleven players on scholarship right now. He said he's not doing anything with the other two scholarships. He says he said no. I'm going to give them to my walk-ons. I'm just going to put two walk-ons on scholarship. And I said why? He said. Nobody can keep 13 players happy. We don't need 13 scholarships. We always wanted them. But with this one-time transfer waiver, you're just going to – it's just a waste. You're not, you can't keep your 13th player, your 12th player. So, so um, he said th- – this coach said, I'll just give these scholarships to walk-ons. My walk-ons will be appreciative. They're not trying to transfer. And, and you know, I'm going to play 11 guys, and, and we'll be fine. But what is – he said, I can give them – I can give these last two scholarships to – people who aren't good enough to play for me and and then what they're just going to transfer in a year so we just wasted everybody's time or i can give them like let's say i could get into the transfer portal and actually find somebody who's going to start for me at this point in the calendar um and obviously opinions differ on this among coaching staffs because like you know texas just took a player who's going to start for them in marcus Carr. But this other so and and I don't th- I don't think many people would say that that was a mistake. Like you know I moved Texas into the top five, the top twenty five and one. But this other coach I was talking to, he said I'm worried that if I did that, it wrecks my locker room. It just re- I, I got guys who have been on campus and you know they've been back on campus for six weeks now and they're working out every day and they we've identified roles and we've talked and talked and talked and then I bring somebody in who's better than my starting two guard. And now my starting two guard is a reserve. What does that do to my locker room? He said it might work, but I was hesitant to do it. So I don't want to bring in anybody who can't play because what's that? they're going to transfer. It's pointless. And I don't want to bring in anybody who's going to possibly mess up my locker room. So I'll just give these two scholarships to walk-ons and we'll move on with what we got. Another coach told me, 
He said he wasn't going to do this, but one of his friends told him. He said, I'm just, I'm going to do 10 scholarship players every year. I'm just not, I'm not, I'm going to get, I'm going to have 10 players on scholarship every year because if you have more than that, you can't, you're not going to keep them anyway. So I believe it when I see it. I, be, I will believe that when I see it. I want to see a Division One coach have 10 dudes on scholarship. Well, I mean, they will. Just, I mean, it, it might be accidental yeah. as opposed to intentional, but that does happen. I, I will say this one coach was, was insistent. I've got 11 scholarship players right now. I could give out two scholarships tonight. I'm not doing it. I'm giving, yeah. them to, I'm giving them to my walk-ons, and we're moving forward with what we got. Uh, that, like he was like he wasn't saying I'm thinking about it. He was like, no, this is what I'm it. doing. Uh, Eleven, yeah. Ten, when you're down to ten, I mean, you're one injury away from not doing five on five scrimmages in practice. Like I don't know, it'll be interesting. Well, at least with you know players that are good enough. But yeah, it's just you know, it it really is a, a change dynamic. But there are some coaches because we were obviously talking about that you were going to write about this. There are some coaches that said they were going to still. Recruit the way they're recruiting it real quick. We can get out of here. But, like, I talked to Eric Musselman, who's, like, the king of the portal, and he's like, I'm going to keep doing this the way that I do it in terms of recruiting high school players at the level we recruit them, the way we want to do it. Now, he's still, I mean, clearly must just guys leave the program, he brings them in, and he thrives off of that. But whereas you might think that he might be the prime candidate for this kind of deal, he's actually, he, at least he told me, he said, it's no, it's, it's going to be the other way around. He's going to continue to kind of recruit, look at three, four guys per year, offer scholarships if the room is there, and then kind of adjust when he needs to with the portal. He's comfortable doing that. In fact, his career has benefited from it. But I would say he is in the minority in terms of head coaches. I would He's in like the 10 to 15% of coaches that actually feel comfortable doing that. Most guys are the other way around. I would actually argue that, the the rules have changed to benefit the way that Musk has been running his program anyway. Like he's he's built for this. Like now, you know, he was at Nevada taking transfers and they'd have to sit out. And there there was a, a benefit to that. But you know, he was willing to take transfers when they were sitting out, knowing that the payoff was coming. Well now they don't have to sit out. So I, I actually think he when you told me Musk said he's just gonna keep recruiting the way that he's been recruiting, I was like, well yeah, that makes sense. Take elite high school players and transfers who can help immediately um yeah i, I actually think his, the way he's been running his program first at nevada then at arkansas is 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 more or less perfect for the way you need to try to run a college basketball program right now one last thing because i did think this was interesting so an, another you know we're talking about the one turn transfer rule and all of the ways that it impacts the sport one of the things people say is that it's just a killer for low majors and mid majors right because you you, you go out you get a player you develop them and then they're going to leave you you know, they're they're and you cannot you you can't um you, you can't build at that level the way you used to build at that level. And I think that's probably true. But I was talking to a mid-major coach about it and he said, you know what? I'm actually embracing that. And I said, What do you mean? Expand on that. He said, So the way this thing is working now. And I'm just going to use the state of Alabama because it's in my head. I didn't talk to any of the coaches in Alabama about this specific thing. It's just, I'm, you'll get the point. So let's say you're the coach at UAB. And you have prioritized some prospect from Mobile. You know, he's ranked 145th in the country. That'd be a nice get for you. Um, he's also being recruited by Alabama Auburn. And that player um, is, is your priority, number one target. He'd be the best player in your class. Or he'd be the fourth or fifth best player at Auburn or Alabama. He said, my approach going forward with that type of prospect is to sit them down and say, I know you want to go to the SEC. I know you would prefer to go to Alabama and Auburn. 
If I'm being honest, I'd rather be the coach myself at Alabama or Auburn. Here's the deal. If you go to Alabama or Auburn right now, you're going to be the fifth best freshman in their recruiting class, according to the rankings. You're probably not going to play. So why not come with me at UAB? Come with me. And how about this? I'll get you good enough to go to Alabama or Auburn. I'm not asking you to commit to me for four years. I'm just saying, why go sit on their bench in the hopes of playing there someday when you could come start for me, play 30 minutes a game, take all the shots, and then if you are good enough to play at Auburn and Alabama, after one year, after two, after three, then guess what? The whole world will know. And then you'll go there knowing you're ready to play as opposed to right now you try to go there, you're not ready to play. So one scenario is absolutely, you come with me, you're starting from day one, and you know maybe, maybe you don't develop into something Alabama and Auburn is interested in. Well, then you're at the right level anyway. Or you come with me, you develop into something Alabama Auburn's interested in, and then boom, pop over to Alabama Auburn. I'll give you a hug on the way out the door, and then you go star in the SEC. But why go there and sit on the bench when you can come play for me? And if you're good enough to go there, we'll know that after a year or two or three. And I was like, that's interesting because I, I, I what you in years past have heard is every major coach is trying to talk them out of going to the high majors. And this coach is like, no, no, no. I'm going to tell them I can get them to the high majors. I, just come with me first. Like, like I'm AAA. Come play come play AAA instead of sit on the bench in the big leagues. And and when you start at this level, they'll call you up. And I'll wish you luck. I just thought it was an interesting approach. I don't know that it'll work, but it, it was interesting. Outs to Davin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Matt Saman, legend. Shouts to Larnell. Thank you guys once again. If you're not subscribed, please go subscribe. Anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, we'd appreciate it. While you're there, leave a review. Type some nice words. Five stars and nice words. Thank you, guys. We'll talk to you again real soon. Until then, take care. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.